Hey guys, Maurice Merrick here, and I want to tell you about a great car event that's coming up May 15th through the 17th. My friends at Drive Toward a Cure invite you to join the Aliso Ranch Getaway in the Santa Barbara wine country. It's an all-inclusive getaway of cars and camaraderie for classics and exotics. Three days and two nights at the premier Dude Ranch-inspired hideaway, the Aliso Guest Ranch and Resort. And in case you're not familiar with Drive Toward a Cure, they are all about focusing the car community on a great cause, which is Parkinson's research and patient care. So if you're anywhere near the Southern California area and you want to get in on a great car event, you can learn more at drivetowardacure.org. Get away to the wine country, May 15th through 17th. Once again, more details at drivetowardacure.org. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Horsepower Heritage. I'm Maurice Merrick, and thanks for joining me for this special bonus episode of the podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about a very special collection of cars, original unrestored cars for the most part, which were lovingly acquired over a lifetime by a gentleman named Mark Smith. Unfortunately, Mark passed away suddenly last year, but he was well-known in the classic car world as a lifelong collector and enthusiast who cherished distinctive artifacts and automobiles, and particularly the original stuff, because as we know, it's only original once, right? The Mark Smith Estate Auction is being held on April 7th, and that task has been entrusted to none other than Gooding & Company. So a couple of weeks ago, I got in touch with their founder, David Gooding, and asked if he'd like to sit down and do a preview of sorts. And that's exactly what we did. So what follows is a terrific conversation with David about the highlights of this sale, which represents some of the finest classics anywhere. By the way, David has been a very serious car lover since he was a boy, and we talked about how all that started as well as how he founded his business. And we also talked about the most memorable cars he's ever had the privilege of selling, some real doozies. And I've got to say, it was a great day for me spending time with David. And I recommend you follow along with us. If you go to GoodingCO.com, just click on the Mark Smith Estate Auction and check out these cars as we discuss them. They're very special. And by the way, we just scratched the surface. There's a ton of classic stuff in the sale and probably even a few deals to pick up. So if you're looking for an interesting and historic car, especially a pre-war car, this is a good opportunity. So stay right there, and I'll be right back with David Gooding, right here on Horsepower Heritage. Hi guys, Maurice Merrick here, and I want to give you a few things to check out at ModelCitizenDieCast.com. First, there's the Jaguar E-Type Lightweight from 1963. That's in 118th scale by AutoArt. Or how about a 1956 Alfa Romeo Giulietta Sprint, also in 118th scale? Or if you're into Japanese supercars, there's the Nissan Skyline GTR V-Spec in 118th scale. You can find these and many more scale model cars at ModelCitizenDieCast.com. Enter promo code HERITAGE at checkout for 10% off your order. That's a special deal for my listeners. From race cars to street cars and everything in between, it's ModelCitizenDieCast.com because your inner child still wants to play with cars. (music) 
Well, David Gooding, I am so pleased to be here at your offices today in Santa Monica, and we're going to be talking about the Mark Smith Estate Auction, which you're handling next month, and just a wonderful collection of original, unrestored cars for the most part. It's pretty vast, but we're going to get into the catalog today, so thanks for being here. Absolutely. My pleasure. I know that you knew Mark Smith, and uh, I had the pleasure of meeting him on the field at, at Pebble Beach in 2019 when he was showing his Rolls-Royce Town Car, again, an unrestored preservation class car, spoke with Mark for probably about 25 minutes. Oh, wow. What a character. Yeah, yeah. Now, Mark, uh, I, I had met Mark uh, the first time in the 1980s. We were both a lot younger then. And what struck me, th- certainly throughout uh, the, the length that we knew each other, was that I, I could not believe how much he knew about cars, about a number of cars. And, and, and it, the, the, you know, it was from the, the dawn of motoring uh, from 1900 all the way through to contemporary cars. I didn't actually, until more recent years, realize that he had such a vast knowledge for um, newer cars. Um, but then, of course, that knowledge even extended beyond cars. You could you could speak to him about architecture. You could speak to him about antique furniture, uh, paintings. Um, he was incredibly knowledgeable and had a, a fantastic eye for detail and, and, of course, originality. He was a connoisseur. Totally, completely. You know, he was he was, I think, as a young man, very passionate about cars. Always enjoyed them, and then, um, like any good car dealer, I think, you know, did a deal on a car and uh, realized that uh, it was something he loved and could make money at. He was a collector first and foremost, and he was constantly trading. You know, had a had a great eye, and he didn't advertise himself really. No, uh, but if you're in the car hobby, you would know who mark smith was absolutely so absolutely well let's get into some of these lots um, okay i think that you've made some picks that you'd like to talk about and i've done the same so where would you like to start why don't we start with the uh the chrysler one of the stars of the of the sale excellent so what i'm going to do david is since you've got the auction offerings on the website yep what i'd like to do is i'll just mention the lot numbers sure so that if people want to Click on GoodingAndCompany.com. They can follow along. Yep. So the first we're going to talk about is Lot 27, which is a 1932 Chrysler Imperial Custom Roadster with LeBaron Coachwork, one of the premier coach builders of the era. Yes. This car is one of the most rakish cars Mm -hmm. of its time. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting about it is that it's a little bit of a period custom, right? Most definitely. I mean, the car is... Just purely aesthetically, if you look at the car, um, it is one of the most beautiful cars of that era. Uh, super long and low, and uh, it has this phenomenal V windshield and and um, uh, disappearing top, and it, it looks sensational with the top up or down. Uh, one of the prettiest roadsters there is from the from the classic era. I mean, any standard uh, Chrysler Imperial from that era is beautiful, but then you you look at this car and it's on a whole different level. What's fun is for many years we didn't really know when, who, or when when this was done. Was it done at the factory because it's so well done? Um, but now, uh, through the help of uh, various researchers, we know that it was done by the first owner who who. It was really obviously a passionate car guy in his own right, Dr. Dr. Whelan. Um, and he ordered the car very specifically as it was, and then made some, you know, had some things clearly in mind. He wanted a V windshield, so he got an Auburn style V windshield. 
uh, it's probably an Auburn windshield, uh, and uh, customized the, the, the top to go down. And, and the fact that all this is done by the first owner in period in the 30s is really it's it's great. I mean, it's just a really wonderful part of its history, and um, the fact that he was so specific it really makes this this car quite interesting. And the other thing I love is it's got a lowered the whole car is lowered a bit and has a beautiful chromed um, axle front axle. And so there's just a it is a a, a large customized you know Chrysler hot rod done by the first owner. I'm glad you said the words hot rod. <laughs> yeah. Because it really is. It's got that touch. Oh, it, yeah. In a time when hot rodding hadn't been coined as such. Definitely. No, no. I mean, this was, you know, this was, uh, you know, hot rodding really hit its strides, uh, 40s and really 50s and, and later. But um, uh, there were, you know, certainly people that were customizing and wanting to improve designs uh in in period and that's not talked about that much these days and this is an example where it should be and it should be celebrated and recognized and um uh this car is so much better for it and it but yet it's so pure because it is still uh exactly as as you know the first owner wanted it and uh, you know it's it's basically an unrestored car from from not from when it was new, but you know, from early on, it's it's not uh, largely been restored, and I personally don't think it should be restored. It's in fantastic condition. I think it uh, should stay just just like it is. Couldn't agree more. And you also mentioned that it looks as good with the top up as it does down. Yeah, which is quite a trick for that time yeah. because most of these cars looked a little bit frumpy or a little bit unfinished with the top up. Yes, definitely. This one is as sexy as it could get yeah absolutely yeah. i mean it's um I, I i think i prefer it with the top up but I, i'm not sure i don't me know too. you know it's it's gorgeous me too. really really sinister looking wonderful car and i'm i just want to give some specs if that's okay david it's absolutely got, it's got the 384 cubic inch inline l head eight cylinder engine mm-hmm. uh single barrel stromberg yep 150 horsepower four speed manual gearbox Four-wheel drum brakes. Yeah. We're, we're coming into that era with this car where four-wheel drum, four drums are now standard. Yes. Especially on a car of this stature. Yes. Like I said, rakish, tiny, tiny doors. And if you look at the overall length of the car, not just the wheelbase, but the overall length, the doors seem like telephone booth doors. Yeah, yeah. But it works. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, and the other, another nice, a uh, few uh, interesting specs there. It's got um, hydraulic drum brakes, which is, which was you know, quite a, uh, advanced feature for the period and a four speed transmission. A lot of classics from that era had three speeds. Another nice, uh, aesthetic touch is the, um, tufted, um, top of the, the cockpit, uh, almost, I, I don't know if it was, well, it was, certainly had to have influence from the aircraft industry of, uh, the late twenties where the, the cockpit was, you know, t- surrounded with a, with a Combing. tufted, yeah, combing exactly. Yeah. And uh, it has that which just is uh, is inviting. It, it has a it has a great look to it. It's a tuck and roll all around the dash. Yeah, the dashboard is uh, rather plain for a car of this cost. Yes, it's it's a black dash, simple gauges, no no like machine turned. Yeah, stainless or anything like that. But it definitely has an aviation feel, like you say. Completely. So. And again, almost, you know, understated hot rod look to it. Yep. Um, not overly, uh, 
decorated like some some of the other luxury cars from the period cadillacs or packards or something that had a, a um you know beautiful dashes in their own right but this is a very plain and beautiful look very businesslike yeah wonderful well you want to give one of your picks david sure so uh mark you know definitely had a a love and a passion for uh the brass era cars early cars and there are a number of them in this sale, um, he had a clear passion for Ford. So there's everything from an early Model A, lots of Model Ts, uh, a very rare Model K Ford. Um, and that, uh, the Model K was a car that was um, uh, owned and featured in Henry Austin Clark's collection. And, you know, Mark always gravitated toward, and I, I, I realized this, but it was really not until we, we were entrusted with this sale that I really came to to realize how important that was to him provenance of certain collectors and you know i, I again I, I i knew it when i would speak with him and we'd talk cars and everything else but i really saw it as looking at the entire collection how important it was if if someone great owned the car and it was a car that he recognized in their collection i think it was a an automatic hook for him. I, I probably should have known that when selling cars to him. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I should have realized it. But uh, uh, so anyway, the, this Model K came from uh, Henry Austin Clark's collection, and it was featured there. Uh, and actually, Mark bought it from me when I worked at Christie's years ago in the '90s. And uh, it's a fantastic car. The, the Model K was an interesting uh, part of history in that. Henry did not really want to produce a luxury car. Uh, this was prior to the Model T, and he was he was all about produ- mass producing low cost cars, of course, which is what Ford became famous for. But his directors and financiers at the time were feeling that he should produce a large six uh, luxury car, and so he really, really reluctantly produced the Model K. And uh, it was a flop, great car, but financial flop. And I think primarily because uh, Henry wasn't behind it in a lot of ways, but uh, they're incredible cars, very large, very imposing, very on Ford-like. And this is, you know, this is one of the great Model Ks. So it's in the collection. But then the, there there are some other great early brass cars. There's a, a London to Brighton eligible 1904 Pope Hartford, uh, super, super original car. That also was once part of the Henry Austin Clark collection. Uh, there is a white steam car, 1907. Uh, and this car is identical to the, the one that uh, President Taft had. Uh, this was owned by the DuPont family. And um, it's one of the largest brass era cars. One of the, It's just a massive car, very, very imposing uh, 1907 steam car. Uh, one of only two known and um, for those people into steam, uh, steam automobiles, this is one of the highest, you know, best sort of steam cars you can get. And there are only two properly known ones, and this is one of them. So it's certainly going to be uh, exciting to see uh, to see it come to market. Fantastic. And for those of you looking along online, the 1907 Ford Model K Touring is lot number 29. And let me find that white. That is lot 59. Okay, the white yep. is lot 59. Yep. You mentioned President Taft's white. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a famous photograph of it Yeah, uh, in front of a building in Washington. I'm not quite it, sure where. I, I don't yeah. know that it's the White House. It's hard to tell. Yeah. But yeah. the car, the chauffeur is in the car, and yeah. it is a locomotive. Yes, yeah. 
Absolutely. I think that car is believed to be the one that's in the uh, Henry Ford Museum now in Dearborn. This one, as I say, was was owned by uh, DuPont, but is identical to that car. And uh, it has a great long history, all the way known from, from new. Such an important car. It's been so fun to catalog all of this collection because each of these cars has an interesting story to tell. They ha- they were owned by great people. They're rare examples. They're, you know, Mark collected special models and, you know, cars with, with great histories. And so, Historical significance. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's been really fun to study and, and, and celebrate them. David, do you find there's a renewed interest in brass and nickel era cars? Sure. Yeah, definitely. You know, I think, I think the, the biggest, um, uh, misnomer is that, um, as, as we progress in time, people always say, you know, well, the new collectors, they only collect what's, uh, what, what's contemporary and they, they, they don't relate back to these older cars. And some of that is true. There's no doubt, certainly. Um, but, uh, we also find that, um, there are a lot of collectors that they, they start off collecting something new. Um, and then they go to a car show and, you know, they're, they're, they, they bring a new car and it looks very similar to a lot of the other new cars that are there, or, you know, and they look at something different or they get an exposure to, uh, some of these spectacular early cars. And, you know, there are very ordinary mundane cars that don't capture their attention, but then there's usually something that that's uh, interesting and different and does. And, um, you know, the, the high performance, beautiful cars from the pre-war era are very exciting to look at, extremely exciting to, to ride in or drive, uh, very engaging and relative to so many contemporary cars these days, not a huge amount of money. Yes, they can be valuable but they're not um you know the 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 price of contemporary ferraris and porsches and mercedes and and, you know paganis and things like that is is very very high and you can you can have a nice collection of some of these cars for (laughs) the price of some of those individual cars so people are realizing that in fact you can get into a very nice model t for very little money yes for under 15,000 in some cases. Most definitely. It opens a different kind of motoring experience up to uh, a person who's interested in discovering that. Yes, most yeah. definitely. The other, you know, I think the other thing is that people have this um, sense that uh, it's hard to work on those cars or that they're not fun to drive. And, you know, that's always a matter of opinion, but I, I think uh, working on them can be fairly easy and um, easy for a lot of people and fairly intuitive. And you don't have to have a factory authorized computer and things like that, obviously. Uh, But then uh, as far as usage, you know, so many contemporary cars are not really fun and exciting until you get up to a hundred miles an hour or, you know, get there very quickly. And you're, so uh, these other cars can be a lot of fun at lower speeds and, um, still you know extremely exciting if you if you drive them as they were meant to be driven on their limits and and uh, really explore them they can be a lot of fun particularly the open cars which are a scream at 40 miles an hour absolutely yeah. love it yeah tremendous fun i'm gonna adjust my mic boom one second um just tell me if you want me to change position no. or anything Okay. You're doing terrific, and okay. you sound really good. You have a good voice for this, too, <laughs> by the way. I know you've spent... Face for radio. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've spent so many hours on the uh, dais. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, by the way, that takes some stamina. It, 
<laughs> takes stamina and uh yeah uh it does it does take stamina yeah have you lost your voice during an auction uh i've come close a couple times hot tea is a good thing for that right you know um that really helps right they say probably whiskey, but I don't know. Then things would devolve into <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> other things. That's for You want the money coming in, not going exactly, out. Exactly, exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, usually we're pretty good. And, you know, my voice is one thing, but, of course, our auctioneer, Charlie Ross, that's oh, yes. far more far more important for him to be heard and seen and, and, and vocalized. He's fantastic. He is incredible. He's a John Houseman type. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. No, I love it. He is... Um, that kind of distinctive. Yeah. There's a reason you have that guy on board. Oh, he's the best there is. Yeah. Yeah, most definitely. Well, David, my next pick is Lot 36, which is a little bit of an infamous car. 1934 Mercedes-Benz 500K yeah. open touring car. Yeah. I mean, it's um, original owner was Rudolf Hess, a uh, famous uh, member of the Nazi party. It was his car, so it's quite historic. It, you know, just on its own right, separate from his ownership. It is quite an important Touring Tourenwagen coachwork by Sindelfingen. Uh, that's the, the fat, factory coach builder. Um, it's in, a, in an extremely um, sporty 500K. So, uh, you know, I think it's quite desirable just in and of itself That from, from that point of view. The Hess ownership is an interesting layer of history on top of it. So, uh, you know, I, I think uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, who's bidding on it and, and how they react to it. Yes, absolutely. How would you characterize the Mercedes-Benz 500s and 540s of the era? Because, you know, they're big, heavy cars. They're extremely yeah. powerful. Yes. But they're certainly not nimble like a British, uh, like a... A British or a, Italian a, a sports car. Yeah. or an Alpha, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah, It's a different design philosophy. Yeah, that was, uh, you know, Teutonic design at its uh, zenith in the 1930s. You know, you can be a Mercedes person or not a Mercedes person, and I definitely am. One thing that draws me to uh, the incredible brand, I mean, here is the, you know, the mark that has started it all that's been there from the beginning but they always built beautiful cars and 500ks and 540ks are sensational stylish cars um, yes big yes imposing but still uh, they have a flair of beauty and and flow to them uh, and you know this car is an eight-cylinder engine supercharged and once again, David, hydraulic brakes on this car. Yeah, hydraulic brakes, a rear swing axle, which is you know very uh, advanced for the period. You know, the other thing I think um, that drew Mark Smith to this car was long-term ownership. The fellow that had it, that he got it from, had had it for uh, you know nearly fifty years, and so again, extremely original. A lot of the interior is original on the car, and it's you know one of only five known super desirable body style. Wonderful. Yeah. And, you know, the 500Ks and the 540Ks, they have these pipes coming out of the side, big V radiator, uh, pretty low-slung car in a lot of ways. I mean, they're, they're, they're handsome. They're commanding. They yes. say, get out of the way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I've arrived and get out of the way. Yes. Well, where do you want to take it next, David? Do you have another pick? Uh, well, we can talk about the Lincoln Zephyr, the twin grill. Yeah, the twin grill. So this is a one-off. Mm-hmm. It almost looks like a factory job, though. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's so well done. It's a uh, lot forty five in our sale. Uh, very Art Deco, 
And um, it was owned for many years and, and sort of a fixture in the collection of uh, Lee Hartung or Leroy Hartung out of Chicago, uh, who was a he was a he was a character. He he would scour the junkyards and 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 pick up these treasures from the Midwest, um, and, and just would take them back to his his warehouse in in Chicago. And um, this car came from from his uh, collection, and it, it it's just a wild looking car. It's a car with two separate front grills that that are parallel, um, so it looks like two cars almost cut in half. I mean, it's very very unusual looking. The standard unmodified Lincoln Zephyr had, I would call it uh, almost a shark nose prow, yeah. right? If so, if anybody's seen a, a Zephyr or even a, uh, uh, let's say a 39 or 44, do you know what I'm talking about with yeah. that nose? Ostensibly, this one was modified to improve the cooling. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I don't know that they succeeded, but it certainly is wild looking. Yeah. Um, Zephyrs themselves are fairly elegant cars, yeah. especially with an all steel body of that period. You know, it doesn't have that bustle back or it's, they're not frumpy cars. No. They're quite shapely. Yeah. No, the, the styling on them in general is absolutely, you know, beautiful and very, very well done. The twin grill is so well executed that uh, the first time I saw the car, it was at the Hartung collection and uh, I'd never seen it before, but it, it clearly was done by a coach builder or it had to be it was done it was done to the highest level it looks like it was done by the factory i mean it's the level and the finish and the detail is unparalleled it almost makes me wonder if you know it had had a collision in period and someone just went on a flight of fancy yeah yeah no i mean something like that uh it could have been a body shop's promotional vehicle it could have been a dealership's promotional vehicle maybe a radiator shop's promotional vehicle i don't know um but it's uh, done to a very high level somebody spent a lot of money doing that uh in period absolutely you know my notes on this car are odd but intriguing clearly well-built modifications of an already elegant car so that kind of mm-hmm. sums it up yeah you want to go you want to do lot 54 sure yeah we okay. can do that yeah All right, David, Lot 54 is our next pick, and that's a 1934 Lincoln model KB7 passenger touring. Mm -hmm. I think most experts would would agree it either matched or in some cases surpassed other fine cars, you know, its contemporaries. Definitely, yeah. And the KB was a continuation of that bigger, better 12-cylinder. Yeah, the KB was at the top of the line. Yeah, I mean, you know, the Ks were... V8s beautifully done with um, uh, they they were famous for the fork and blade connecting rods. the The quality, the design, the fit and finish of a Lincoln of this period is unparalleled. And the KB, being the twelve, was the top of the line and uh, enabled them to have more extravagant coachwork and 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 you know greater power of of course by the twelve cylinder engine. Um, so the KBs were, were, you know, owned by the ultra wealthy and this car is a great example. It's, um, a seven passenger, extremely original again, you know, which is just phenomenal. Uh, but it was originally owned. The first owner was a member, the husband of, uh, Alta Rockefeller, John D. Rockefeller's daughter. So his daughter, uh, her husband ordered this car. He was a client of Lincoln and a Ford, and they built the car specifically for him. You know, the, the Rockefeller family, and, um, you know, they've always been important. But in the 1930s, uh, when John D. Rockefeller's uh, 
daughter or son-in-law call and order a car, you know, you pay attention. So this this car had um, certainly been foisted upon by with a lot of uh, attention and factory detail done to it. So um, really fantastic car, really historic KB. And this is where we begin to see the influence of streamlining on Ford and Lincoln products. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So for example, the older style fenders are gone. Now yeah. we have partially enclosed, what I would call partial pontoon fenders. Yeah, yep. Uh, definitely smoother coachwork, more integrated in every way. Flowing and, yeah. Flowing. Yeah, uh, skirted fenders, the the fenders drop down in the front. Um, yeah, everything's a little more flowing. The, the radiator is um, uh, V'd and tilted forward. Um, so, yeah, you're definitely seeing... Um, uh, the mid-30s and what was to come, certainly, in the Lincoln line and, of course, in the Ford line, which have, they, they, they were parallel and they complement each other. So it's, 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 it's also fun. In this collection, we have V8 Fords and Lincolns, and you see the, you know, the baby version and the grown-up version in, in these cars. And um, the, the styling is so complementary. Each has its own unique features, but they're clearly the same DNA, and it's at the encouragement of Edsel Ford, this was his project. Uh, you could see that you know his vision and, and, and what they were pushing for came through so clearly and successfully. The other thing that's interesting about this car is that it has, not unlike other cars of its day, it has fairly bright paint. Yes. But it's, a, it's almost an emerald metallic. Yeah, yeah. Really an unusual color, you know. Um, uh, you're, you're correct in pointing that out. I mean, most cars of this period were often... Dark greens, blacks, grays, uh, pretty subdued colors. Not to say that there weren't occasionally, certainly bright cars, but usually the lighter cars were creams or tans or possibly a muted yellow. This car being in this, uh, um, you know, blue aqua metallic is was really extraordinary. It, uh, and it's risky. It's oh. It's Absolutely. risky on a car of this size, yeah. that much bright color. And as you say, there are particularly some Cadillacs and Packards out there that are quite brightly colored. Yeah. And then there were also the Ruxtons, which yes. were super wild with their triple tone paint jobs. Yes. But this Lincoln, uh, this uh, metallic, like you say, or blue or green or whatever, whatever you want to characterize it as, it works. Yeah, most definitely. Oh, you know, another detail on this car are the uh, fan-shaped front windows. It's a half window. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it does roll up. Yeah, yeah. You know, again, Lincoln's quality is uh, unparalleled. They have these, yeah, this beautiful, uh, yeah, as you say, the fan shape, that the, the quarter window that uh, is so practical. When you're, when you're driving an open car off it and uh, to have that great quarter window, you know, is, is super important but they're integrated fully into the door. They hinge with the door. And if you want to roll them down, they go completely enclosed. So um, very advanced design. I mean, Packard's from the same period, for example, to have a wind wing, it was bolted onto the side of the windshield. Um, you know, by comparison to the Lincoln, in terms of quality and engineering and finish, it looks rather sort of like an afterthought, whereas in the Lincoln, it's just beautifully part of the car it's so well done yeah really well integrated and i think in in inclement weather it would have afforded quite a bit of protection compared even to a side curtain perhaps definitely oh no no no. So, yeah, yeah they're 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 very practical and yet aesthetically pleasing well what do you ha what do we have next here david all right okay so one of the one of my favorite cars in the sale uh was lot 70 it's the 20 1924 packard single eight 
136 Sport Touring. This is one of the prettiest cars from this era, uh, certainly one of the prettiest American cars from this era. Anyone who sees this car, too, just is captivated by it. If you, you know, if you like cars from this period, it's absolutely stunning. It's got this super narrow, the whole car is very narrow, but the, the, the coachwork is very, very narrow. And I assumed it was Packard coachwork, but as we um, researched it and I spoke with um, true connoisseurs who knew a lot, uh, a lot more about these cars than, than we did, it was built by Pullman, uh, who built the Pullman coaches, the, the, the trains and everything. They, they did some um, coachwork on cars and they did the coachwork on these cars. So it's got this absolutely spectacular, narrow, very, very sporty coachwork for passenger fan. And um, the colors on this car are sensational as well. It's got um, two-tone gray and black with, with sort of a deep vermilion or red wheels and accents. And it just, I, I, you know, everything about it. And then on top of all of that, it is incredibly original and well-preserved. It just, it looks like a, a high-speed arrow of some kind. I mean, from the period, it's just really beautifully designed and finished. Some might even call it a torpedo body. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. yeah. In 1924, you could order your Packard with wooden wheels, mm-hmm. wire wheels, or disc wheels. Yeah. And for my money, it's got to be the discs, and this car has them. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it's funny because um, cars from this period were in transition, of course. Uh, We were coming out of the wood wheel era, going into wire wheels, but there was this brief period where disc wheels were uh, a bit of the rage, and it's unfortunate because they they sort of – they didn't last that long, and yet they look phenomenal. And um, I agree. I mean, a, a disc wheel on this car, it, you could get it with wood wheels or with wire wheels as well, and it just wouldn't be as dramatic and, and racy looking. It just looks so slick with those disc wheels. Completely agree. Even, uh, you know, the wheels on this car are, are a ver- vermilion red, mm-hmm. but even if they were black or gray, they would still look fantastic. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that's definitely... Uh, I mean, whoever specced this car out in this color, they they knew exactly how how a car should look. I mean, it's 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 sensational, you know. The kind of guy I'd like to hang out with. Definitely, yeah, most definitely. Uh, you mentioned Pullman, yeah. Interesting crossovers in the era. Pullman building bodies, also the Bud Company. Yes, building all sorts of. Uh, bodies whether they be commercial or i think they even did some passenger cars yes yeah absolutely so kind of interesting i i you know i i find um that part of automotive history it's really part of american industrial history which is really part of american history uh i I find it really fascinating to see all these companies were intertwined Uh, of course packard was building uh, aircraft engines during World War One and famously during World War Two. So leaders of those industries were relying on their colleagues in other areas uh, to supply and build and 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 produce uh, whatever they could f- for their products. And it makes sense. So you know this sense that whatever the company is, Packard, Pierce Arrow, uh, Lincoln, that 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 they produced everything. You know, I, we tend to just go with the mark and the brand and think just wholly about them but when you really realize all of the various people that were involved the designers the 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 suppliers uh there was a lot of commonality and we we see that also in especially in european cars you know you really dissect a ferrari you can see there's 
so many, this is before Fiat became part of Ferrari. There's so many Fiat parts. There's so many common parts that weren't actually Fiat. They were Italian suppliers. So I find that just that part of uh, studying a car really interesting and fascinating. I think it's easy for us to forget because it's been so long. But at one time from the Northeast all the way to the Great Lakes was one massive industrial empire. Yes. From Dayton Engineering Laboratories Company, AC yeah. Delco, yeah. to, let, let's see, Studebaker. Yes. To, you mentioned earlier, Pope in Hartford, yes. Connecticut. Yes. What we now call the Rust Belt was this huge font of industrial might. Yeah, and not just the products, but everything behind the history of these companies. You know, Pope's a great example. Colonel Pope was in the uh, Civil War, came out of the Civil War, and really being a you know visionary, noticed the bicycle was, was something that uh, was quite important, had a future. So he invested heavily, became a multimillionaire many times over in the bicycle industry, leading uh, the manufacturer of bicycle, bicycle frames, uh, the Columbia bicycle, the Pope bicycle. And then he was he was building everything. He, he wanted vertical integration, building tires and tubes and everything. And uh, then, of course, was pushing for great roads for bicycles. And then, obviously, when the automobile started taking off, he looked toward the automobile. So his imprint and that history is very, very uh, interesting. He uh, thought that uh, the automobile should have a patent that he could own the rights to. So uh, he was the main money behind the Selden patent. Um, uh, and in, anyone who was manufacturing a, an automobile in the U.S. was supposed to pay royalties to the Selden patent. Most of the manufacturers did. Some of them didn't. Uh, the most notable one that didn't was... Henry Ford. There we go. Yeah. David, I did an episode, I think about two years ago, on this Selden patent. Yeah. It's called Henry Ford's Fight. Yes. Fascinating story. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, incredibly fascinating story. Really interesting had it turned out differently. I always wondered if um, uh, Colonel Pope were a younger man, would it have turned out differently? He, You know, when he died in 1909, uh, it kind of sort of, I think the family, the they had gone through a recession. The Pope family, uh, they had a lot of problems with their manufacturing. I think the, the sort of fight behind the court case that they were fighting against Henry Ford died a death. And, of course, Ford took off with the Model T, and, and the rest is certainly history. But, you know, Pope's uh, influence and imprint, not just with the Pope Hartford, but all these, he had uh, six different uh, brands, a Toledo, a Waverly, all kinds of different brands and for types of the, the the market that he wanted to serve i mean it was a it was the it was the gm the first gm prior to gm of its uh, of its type well said david let's talk about your personal story and uh the origins of gooding and company well i grew up in the car hobby in the car industry my father was a um, museum curator at various automotive museums the harrow museum the crawford museum in cleveland and the Nethercutt Museum. So I, I grew up as a kid going to these museums. I was there, left there uh, at night while he was working, scouring the, the collections and the libraries. Um, so I had a kind of a, an unusual education, but I was always brought up to think that I shouldn't work in the car industry 
because I, I love cars. I want to collect them, but uh, my dad wasn't into the in, in, into the buying and selling of cars, really. So out of college, uh, I was desperate to pay my rent. I needed a job. And a friend said, there's an opening at Christie's, their, their car department. They basically, at the time, their, their car department had vacated and set up a competing company. So they needed some talent or, or people that knew about cars. So I uh, applied for a job and got a job there at, and did the first ever auction of Christie's and the first ever auction at the Pebble Beach Concord d'Elegance. And that was in uh, August of 1990. You know, I hope that people can relate to these cars. Certainly they're not inexpensive, <laughs> right? <laughs> no. They're, they're not reachable for a lot of people, but yes. because a Van Gogh is not affordable for you, does that mean that it's outside of your not realm all. of appreciation? No, 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 no not at all. You know, that's that we have lots of people that come to our events uh, that may not be bidding on a car, that may not be buying a car, but they want to come and look at them, study the cars, watch watch the, the market uh, transpire in front of them. That's what's so exciting about the auctions is it's, it is the market speaking in real time in front of your eyes. Uh, but really to study the cars, to read the catalog descriptions, to discuss them with other car enthusiasts. People call us car experts, and that's not that's something I shy away from because uh, we, we are specialists, but we're constantly learning about these cars. And, you know, I've been doing this all my life. I'm well into my 50s now, and I'm still learning about cars that I've, you know, theoretically should know a lot about, but I still learn new things about them. And people will point out things to me on these magnificent machines that I, that I had not noticed before, or, or, you know, so it's, it's, it's a great learning process and very gratifying. Absolutely. It's one of the best things about the car hobby or collecting, um, or being in the position to make a business out of this is that you never stop learning. There's always another page to turn. Most definitely, yeah. David, if you could pick one car that you've sold in your career, yeah, whether it's your favorite, the most memorable, what car was it? <laughs> uh, limiting limiting it to one is quite difficult. I'm gonna I'm gonna limit it to three. That we can do three. Yeah, they're all related though. the 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 first one is the um, uh, 1935 Duesenberg Mormon Meteor. Oh, uh, yeah, that was in our very first sale. Gooding and Company's first sale ever. Uh, it was our sale at the 2004 Pebble Beach event. And, you know, this car had not come up extremely important in Duesenberg. It's, um, it was built for Bonneville Speed Flats, uh, and it set a 24-hour uh, speed record with Ab Jenkins. Um, it had been owned by one family since 1959 or 60. And the fact that as we were setting up as a company, this family and and a friend of theirs who who um, really pushed very hard for us to have it. Uh, the fact that we had that car in our very first sale was was a big deal. Um, uh, we didn't take it like lightly, and we're very proud of it. And it at the time set a world record for a Duesenberg, a world record for an American car that stood for many years. It was just one of the all time great Duesenbergs. Now the next car is. Another Duesenberg, uh, that is the Wattel Coupe, perhaps the most beautiful Duesenberg, one of the most beautiful classic era cars. And we were consigned that car in 2011, and that succeeded the Mormon Meteor in, in setting a record for a Duesenberg and an American car. 
So that the Wattel Coupe sold for over $10 million, which was an extraordinary price at the time. Still is an extraordinary price. Uh, but at the time, I think most people were expecting that car to bring probably uh, 4 to $6 million, and it, and it brought 10 um, Like the Mormon Meteor, totally unique. Uh, the, the Wattel Coupe, built for George Wattel, um, just one of the most gorgeous and beautiful cars, just a hauntingly beautiful car, a one-off uh, Murphy Coupe with a polished aluminum hardtop and uh, these gorgeous chrome stripes down down the middle and a patent leather interior. Just, we had so many people remark, there were many people that said, you know, I'm not a pre-war sort of person, I'm not a Duesenberg sort of person, I, you know, I collect this. They said, I don't care. That is the most beautiful car I've ever seen. They they were struck by it. And um, what was George Wattel's claim to fame? So uh, Wattel came from a from a wealthy family. Uh, he, he grew up quite wealthy, um, a, a sort of a, a robber baron type family. Uh, so he was the scion of he was the scion of this wealthy family, and very astutely. Uh, got out of the stock market just before its crash <laughs> and invested in in uh, property in in California and Nevada had a huge it was the largest landowner in uh, around Lake Tahoe and uh, indulged his passion and had six custom Duesenbergs um, to his made to his order and wild airplanes of the highest you know beautiful aircraft and 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 boats uh, to the highest order so um, he was a man who loved the finest uh, bespoke uh, toys. A sportsman in the true sense. Definitely. Yeah. 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 Um, and then the final car, which of course relates to uh, the other two, is uh, the Gary Cooper SSJ. Um, Fantastic car. Absolutely incredible. And similar to the other two, no one was expecting this car to come on the market. They only built two of the SSJs. It's considered the ultimate Duesenberg, the shortest chassis, sportiest Duesenberg, short wheelbase, supercharged engine, but the twin carbureted supercharged engine. They they only built uh, six of the twin carbureted cars, uh, the Mormon Meteor being one of them, the two SSJs being uh, uh, two of the other six. And they built one for Gary Cooper and one for Clark Gable. Yeah. And, and Coop and Gable were both like died in the wool car guys. Died in the world car guys, friendly competitors, friendly, you know, obviously competing for roles on stage and for the spotlight, and then uh, both, you know, car guys as well. So uh, when Coop got one, Gable had to get one, and uh, they are just unbelievably good looking. Again, it's a it's a Duesenberg hot rod. It's a shortened car. It's it looks it's all hood. And, um, you know, the, the engines are 400 horsepower. This is a 400 horsepower 1935 car. Astonishing. Yeah. Wonderful to drive. And this car had been part of the Briggs Cunningham collection for many, many years. Another the, sportsman. Yeah. Phenomenal collector and sportsman who won the America's Cup. Um, so he had the car. Then uh, Miles Collier owned the car. Um, so nobody thought it was coming to, to market. It really stunned everybody when it when it came to market. And, you know, we said that the, the price would, we thought, exceed $10 million. 
Uh, and we, there were some precedents from that being the Wittell Coop and then, of course, the Mormon Meteor. These are the other great Duesenbergs. And so it was quite astonishing and gratifying, not because of the, the, the number as much as just the attention and the result when it, when it brought $22 million, uh, again, broke that, that American car record, that, that pre-war car record, uh, the Duesenberg record. Uh, it blew everybody's mind, but deservedly so. I mean, what an incredible car. So those are my top three. That had to have been electrifying for you. It was. I mean, the the whole process was when when we were uh, entrusted with the sale. It was just fun. It was, uh, uh, of course, a big responsibility, a giant responsibility, but um, cataloging the cars uh, and having the experience of of driving each of them, you know, getting some t- some real good seat time in them. Um, I was going to say spending time with them. Yeah, let's be real about this possessing them for a brief period but yeah really yeah. fun yeah. yeah no we had uh both the uh Wattel coupe and and uh the ssj were you know just feet from where we're, we're doing this uh this interview here it was fun uh, with both cars to to walk by them every day just sort of spend time staring at them you know, some cars the more you look at them the more you go oh, i would change this oh I'd, that doesn't mm. Those two cars, in particular, the Wattel and, and the SSJ, they just get better. The more you look at them, <laughs> you know, you 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 walk away from them, and you absolutely have to look over your shoulder and look back at them. They're, and they 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 just take your breath away. Wonderful. Well, David, listen, I'm really excited about the Mark Smith Estate Auction. Uh, can you bid online? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So if you just go to our website, goodandco.com, um, you, you can go and you can uh, set it up and uh, do online bidding and telephone bidding. And absolutely. Excellent. All right. The Estate of Mark Smith auction. It's April 7th, 2023 in Lynchburg, Virginia. But if you can't be there, bid online, goodingco.com. David Gooding, thank you so much for having me in today. Oh, my pleasure, Maurice. Thank you. That's all for this episode of Horsepower Heritage. If you like what you've heard, don't forget to follow the show on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. If you're on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please leave me five stars and a quick review. Visit buymeacoffee.com forward slash HP Heritage and support the show with a donation. I'll see you back here on Wednesday, April 5th for some more muscle car talk with the one and only rock and roll good times gearhead direct from Dallas, Texas, Richard Rawlings of Gas Monkey Garage. So until then, I'm Maurice Merrick. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.